0: hello everyone. I hope you're having a great day or night whichever one it is when you're listening to this uh, summer. Uh, I've got some new software here so if things if I stop for a second, it's because I'm trying to, to I'm handling three things at one time here. so uh, <laughs> I'm just learning the software. Uh, but they say that laughter is the best medicine. And in today's world, it's about the cheapest you can get as well. <laughs> so uh, here's a little humor pill for you today. A kindergarten teacher gave her class a show and tell assignment of bringing something to represent their religion. The first child got up in front of the class and said, My name is Benjamin, and I'm Jewish, and this is the Star of David. The second child got up in front of her class and said, my name is Mary, I am a Catholic, and this is a crucifix. The third child got up in front of his class and said, my name is Tommy, and I am Baptist, and this is a casserole. <laughs> yes, it seems like the Baptists always get stuck with a casserole now, don't we? The folks in church like that one Sunday morning. Uh, I'm recording this here today in my office at home. Uh, The church doesn't have recording software or computer uh, that I know of. Um, They may have recording capability, but not the computer that I can use to record with this software. Um, But today's sermon is called the ultimate conversion and let's start off by looking at acts 9 3 through 5 now as he went on his way he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground he heard a voice saying to him Saul Saul why are you persecuting me and he said who are you Lord and he said I am Jesus whom you are persecuting now I've always been fascinated by the uh, Apostle Paul now one of the reasons for this being the metamorphosis that occurred at his conversion now why do I use such a dramatic word like metamorphosis for Paul's conversion well first let's define it um, a a change of physical form structure or substance especially by supernatural means B, a striking alteration in appearance, character, or circumstances. Now, this is definitely a life changer. And Paul qualifies because he had a supernatural event happen to him here on the road to Damascus. And due to this, his character and circumstances are about to change very dramatically. Better understand the man Saul before his conversion. We can get a glimpse of it in Acts 9 1 through 2. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound. To Jerusalem Saul was a man who thought he was on a mission from God to eliminate all the followers of Jesus whom he considered to be traitors of the faith troublemakers and blasphemers for saying that this carpenter from Nazareth who died a shameful death on a Roman cross was the Son of God and we are first introduced to Saul at the execution of Stephen after he preached in the synagogue, enraging all those who heard him. Let's look at Acts 7 54 through chapter 8 3. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him, but he Being Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except for the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. From these few verses, we can tell clearly How committed Saul was to his task. And to understand better how Saul became this persecutor of Christians. Let's look deeper into his history. To better understand the man he was before his conversion. And we know that Paul was born in the city of Tarsus. And it is believed that he was born about the same time as Jesus' birth where he lived until about the age of 13 when he moved to Jerusalem to get his education. Now, Tarsus is located in south-central Turkey, 12 miles inland from the Mediterranean. During the Roman Empire, Tarsus was the capital of the province of Cilicia. An interesting fact here uh, was Tarsus was the first meeting place between Mark Antony and Cleopatra. Now, there's been several movies made about this, probably the most famous one in 1963. Uh, the film Cleopatra that starred Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, Ritz Harrison, Roddy McDowell, and Martin Landau. Now, I didn't get to see it when it first came out because I was too young. Not even I, I'm not even that old, but... Uh, I did catch it later on TV, and uh, as you can tell, I'm an old movie buff. I've worked in the movie business for a long time at theaters, various theaters, and uh, I love movies. Um, But it's a shame that they can't, or I should say won't make any decent movies nowadays that you can take your entire family to, unless it's maybe one of those animated films and you even have to be careful with those nowadays, just to make sure that uh, there's no any, uh, inappropriate language or anything like that. Uh, but enough of that, let's, let's get back to Saul. Uh, in Acts 21 and 22, Paul is in Jerusalem. And after addressing the Jews in the temp- temple, he was run out and was being beaten by a crowd of outraged Jews when the Roman centurions come along and break it up and are getting ready to take him back to the barracks to charge him. And in Acts 21, 37-39, we read this. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Now here Paul is appealing to the centurion by speaking in Greek as a Roman citizen. And by no obscure city, Paul was referring to the fact that Paul, that Tarsus, was a well-known back then. Uh, Tarsus was a free Roman city and had a thriving merchant trade center. It was also an intellectual city, home of one of the three great universities in the world at that time. The other two were in Athens, Greece, and Alexandria, Egypt. So that shows Tarsus was a, a, a good a Roman hub, center in Asia there. Paul is also not just a Roman, but he was a Roman citizen by birth. Now we find this out later on in chapter 2. After he's addressed a different crowd of Jews outside the temple. And of course, Paul enrages them as well. He's good about that. So now the Roman centurions are going to take him into the barracks. And we look at Acts 22, 24 through 29. And we read the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks saying that he should be examined by flogging. To find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out on, out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. But Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. Now, this, so those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Now, that was a big deal. Back then, if you weren't a Roman citizen, if you had enough money, you could buy a citizenship. Paul did not have to do that. He was born a Roman citizen. Besides being a Roman, he was also Jewish, of course. And he was raised in Jerusalem. And we read this in Acts 22, one Three. So now we're going to backpedal a little bit, back to where Paul is addressing that second crowd that gathered outside the temple to see what the ruckus was, what was going on. Because uh, when he got through out of the temple, they, it was a big ruckus, so everybody was gathering around to see what was going on. So this, this now is a different crowd of Jews. You could say these were just the regular working folks. And uh, Acts 22, 1 through 3, we read this. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers being zealous for god as all of you are to this day notice the change here earlier when he spoke to the roman he spoke to him in greek as a roman now when addressing the jews he speaks to them in hebrew as a fellow jew excuse me i'm sorry getting tongue-tied <laughs> Effortlessly, Paul transitions from speaking Greek to Hebrew. This duality of language and culture is an important part of Paul's future ministry, the ability to reach out first to the Jew and then to the Gentiles. He relates this in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also To the Greek. Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. Now we get this. From going to Acts chapter 26. Verse 10. When he says. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison. After receiving authority from the chief priests. But when they were put to death. I cast my vote against them. For him to cast a vote, he had to be a member of the Sanhedrin. He was also a Pharisee, and Pharisee is a sect of Judaism at the time. But Paul wasn't just any old Pharisee. He said he said he, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. We we learned this from Galatians 1:14, and I was not a I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. So I'll give you a little refresh here just in case you've forgotten or maybe you didn't know. uh, But let's look at a few things here just to refresh your memory. if you, You may have forgotten. The Sanhedrin was like a judicial branch or governing body of the Jewish law and the Sanhedrin was made up of both the Sadducees and the Pharisees now the Pharisees were Puritan Jews who strictly observed the laws of Moses they were spiritualistic believing in angels and the afterlife They were very patriotic and loyal to Israel, wanting to restore it back to its previous glory and be out from under the the Romans. Whereas the Sadducees, they were more Hellenistic in their their viewpoints and they were willing to appease their Roman captors. They were more materialistic. And did not believe in spirits or the afterlife. It, they had more of a eat, drink, and be merry, live for today, for tomorrow we die, type attitude. Now, Paul was also a rabbi. We learned this in Acts 6-9. When Stephen is in the synagogue addressing the members there, then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. Paul would have been one of those that were from Cilicia and Asia. Now, being a rabbi along with being a member of the Sanhedrin gives us a clue to Paul's age at the time of Stephen Stoning as well, since for a man to hold both or either of these positions, he had to be at least 30 years old. There's also evidence that Paul was from a wealthy, influential family. And the Bible doesn't tell us much about Paul's family, so here's where we have to play detective a little and find some clues that can help us out. Here's a couple things that hint to this. Paul's Roman citizenship was by birth, even though he was Jewish. Many scholars believe that this is due to the fact that either his father or possibly his grandfather, most probably his grandfather, had been taken into captivity by the Romans when Cassius took Tarsus. After being taken captive, all the Jews were taken to Rome and sold into slavery due to his father or grandfather's high social position and culture, may have impressed their owners who then set them free. This, according to Roman law, would make them full Roman citizens with all the rights and privileges that came with it. We know this had to have happened before Paul's birth because he was born a Roman citizen in Tarsus, so they they had to move back to Tarsus from Rome uh, before Paul was born. In Acts 23, 16, Paul's nephew, his sister's son, comes to him while he's in prison to warn him of a plot to kill him. In order for his nephew to hear this, he had to have A high social position, or be in the presence of those who were plotting to kill Paul. Paul's nephew was most likely studying to become a rabbi like his uncle, and possibly he or his parents were close friends with members of the Sanhedrin. We also know that Paul had an occupation. He was a tent maker. We know this. Uh, because it is found in Acts chapter eighteen verses two through three, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers. Now this occupation. Or this is an occupation he learned in Tarsus. Like I said, it was a big merchant city at the time. And one of the things they did there was make tents. Um, and just because he had an occupation like being a tent maker, by no means meant that he was poor. Because it was taught at that time or it was Jewish tradition that all Jewish men had to have some type of occupation to earn that they could earn a living at, no matter what their social status was or how much money they had. That is, that's just the, the Jewish tradition. They must have an occupation. Now we're going to look at Paul's conversion and go back to the road to Damascus. Back in Acts 9. Verses 1 through 9. We're going to read over a little some of the, th- the things that we've read earlier. But we're going to go over it again here. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that he, if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. Traveling with him, stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. This was definitely a life-changing event. But before this, Paul had never seen Jesus, even though they were about the same age. You would have thought that at some point in time that they would have run into each other. Now, one of the reasons that this chance encounter probably never happened or never took place is this, that Jesus' ministry was primarily in Galilee. A few times Jesus went to Jerusalem, his visits were brief and very low-key with the exception of the last week. If Paul had ever seen Jesus before this encounter on the road to Damascus, surely he would have mentioned it somewhere in one of his letters, but he never does. It's never mentioned. So Paul had never seen Christ before this event. So Paul has just had a supernatural encounter with the, of the third kind witnessing the resurrected Lord Jesus in full-blown splendor. Now blinded and scared out of his mind, Paul would Paul's world has been turned upside down and he has to question everything that he once believed in and come to the realization that Jesus Christ truly is the promised Messiah. To get a hint as to how much... The what Saul, about to be Paul's life, is about to be changed in Acts 9, 15-16 when the Lord addresses Ananias to go to Paul. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Yes, Paul is uh, going to suffer. But I would imagine that poor old Ananias is suffering a little bit too now given the task before him having to go lay hands on Saul the known infamous persecutor of Christians. But Ananias is faithful and proceeds with the task as we see in Acts 9, 17 through 19. So Ananias Ananias, I'm sorry Departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him said brother Saul The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road By which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight Then he rose and was baptized and taking food. He was strengthening For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Now Paul didn't just sit around and ponder about what he had to do next. He gets to work right away. He's out of the gate running. As we see in Acts 9, 20-22. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of all those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And right away, Paul has just started his memory, and right away, the threats to his life begin. No, it doesn't take long for Paul's enemies to come out of the woodwork. We read in the very next verse, 923, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Now, what's to follow here? What are the consequences to Paul's conversion? Well, first, Paul is disowned by his family. His family were strict Pharisees and observers of the law. And they would see Paul as a blasphemer and a disappointment, cutting them off financially And disowning him altogether. So it's a good thing that Paul learned that skill of being a tent maker. To have to fall back on. Now. Even though Paul was the black sheep of the family. His nephew must have been very close to him. To come to him and warn him. That there was a plot against his life. So he. He had made a big influence on uh, his nephew. So he had one person in his family that still cared for him evidently. Two, Paul becomes a social outcast among his fellow Jews. Saul, this once much-loved and highly respected influential member of the upper echelon of Jewish society in Jerusalem, member of the Sanhedrin, A rabbi is now seen as a blasphemous traitor, and all those who once backed him and cheered him on now want to see him flogged and put to death. Saul, now Paul, has fallen from grace in the eyes of his family and friends, and lost all his worldly wealth. All he has now is the Lord, and from this point forward, the Lord is all he needs. So, when you think you're having a hard time being a Christian or following Christ, or going out and sharing the eternal life-saving message of the gospel, look at the life of Paul. Reflect on all he had and all he lost to follow Jesus and proclaim Him to the world as the Savior of all mankind. No, we may not have had a supernatural Damascus Road experience like Paul, but we have been saved by that amazing grace through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ's death on the cross and His resurrection and have been baptized by the same Holy Spirit and adopted into the family of God, our father. But what about you? If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord, I ask you to consider it now. The same is cliche, but it is true. We are not promised tomorrow or even the next minute for that matter. This is one of those life or death choices Not in the physical, but the spiritual sense, which makes makes it more serious, since the soul is eternal. Now, you may not be sure, and you may even question the existence of God, but the Bible tells us, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him, if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. That's all you have to do is have enough faith or be willing to just seek after the Lord. Get out a Bible, read it, and ask the Lord to reveal himself to you. And if you're truly seeking him, he will make it reveal himself to you. Matthew 16, 26 says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Do you have things that you've done in your life that you may regret? Uh, We all do. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So everyone's guilty. There's never been anyone perfect except Jesus. The Bible tells us that there's consequences for our actions. For the wages of sin is death. And this death that they that is spoken of here in this verse is a spiritual death. Completely isolated and away from God for all eternity in a place called hell. But the good news follows in the second part of the verse where it says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now you may, be, may say, I don't believe in hell. Okay, but are you 100% sure? What if you're wrong? The good news is this, that God's offer of salvation is free. He doesn't need or want anything from you. God loves you just as you are. You see, this isn't about religion. This is about starting a relationship with God. Now, if you you have any questions, please, please. Uh, send me an email or give me a call. Uh, I'll be glad to answer your questions. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for everything that you've given us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone out there that has never received you as their Lord and Savior, that they will accept it now. Draw them to you, Lord. Let them know that you love them and that you want them to be In this family of God. And bless them Lord. Father bless all that are listening to this. And. If anyone needs. Healing from sickness. Lord I pray that you heal them. If there's any there that. Out there that are. In any type of pain. I pray that you'll take the pain away. We ask these things in Jesus name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for listening. Um, May the peace of the Lord be with you. God bless you. And until next week, this is Reverend Sam. God bless you. Have a great night. Bye-bye.